You're listening to Time in the Word. The Israelites demonstrated faithless unbelief when they accepted the discouraging report from the ten spies, even though God had already given them the land and had instructed them to go take possession of it. The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 11:6, Now without faith it is impossible to please God. Just as the Sodomites were physically immoral, so the apostates and false teachers are spiritually immoral. The fire and brimstone that rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah is proof that God does and will judge sin. Hebrews 12.9 says that the God of heaven is a consuming fire. Over and over in scripture, we are warned about the fierce judgment of God upon the wicked. Hell is one of the doctrines that apostates attempt to do away with. Today, when hell is brought up, it will likely be met with ridicule. After all, only the ignorant could really believe in such a place. Unbelief and faith cannot coexist, and unbelief will always result in eternal spiritual death. In today's study, Dr. Gonzalez discusses the three examples from the past and their awful results. Now, here's today's teaching from Dr. Gonzalez. Continuing in our study of Jude's epistle, let's now turn to Jude and read verses 5 through 7. Now I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved the people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions, and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come together to study this text of Scripture. May you open our eyes and ears and speak to us as only you can. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're about to learn that the result of apostasy is the judgment of God. And Jude gives us three examples from the past and show the awful results of apostasy. First, the judgment of unbelieving Jews. Look at verse 5. Jude states, Now I want to remind you, although you came to know these things once and for all, that Jesus saved a people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. So the first example is that of Israel, who experienced the great display of God's grace and power, saw and heard his revelation in Sinai, and received his care in the wilderness, yet a number of them disbelieved and rebelled. Obviously, this is not an instance of people being saved and then losing their salvation. Jude describes the rebels as those who did not believe. So the Israelites were physically delivered from bondage, not by their faith as a nation, but by God's covenant love and mercy. The warning in this judgment is against unbelief and rebellion. So the first example goes back to the book of Exodus, where we see the children of Israel in Egyptian bondage. God, in his grace and in his mercy, he steps in and begins to pour out a series of judgments upon ungodly Pharaoh. These judgments were aimed at getting Pharaoh to repent and release his people from this bondage. Ten plagues later, the Passover was instituted, the blood of the Passover lamb was applied to the doorposts, all typical of the redemptive work of Christ, and the children of Israel were free. 
Not only did God wonderfully deliver his children, but from Egypt to the border of Canaan, he proved himself faithful time after time by supplying their every need and caring for them. However, you remember that when they arrived to Kadesh Barnea, the border of the promised land, they sent spies in uh, to search out the land. And upon returning, 10 of the spies gave a discouraging report. If you were to turn back to Numbers uh, chapter 13 and read verses 28, 29, and then 31 through 33, this is what you'll find. However, the people living in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev. The Hethites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. But the men who had gone up with him responded, We can't attack the people because they're stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we pass through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. To ourselves we seemed like grasshoppers, and we must have seemed the same to them. So the spies described the land as being just what God had said it would be, a land flowing with milk and honey, Exodus 3.17. Notice the word, however, in verse 28 of the passage we just read. That was the word that demonstrated their unbelief and lack of faith. God had already proven himself able not only to deliver his people from his enemies, but to provide for them faithfully. Of the twelve spies, only Joshua and Caleb trusted the Lord. And they wanted to go on in to take the land that God had already promised them. Numbers 13.30 says, Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, Let's go up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. So there was division among the Israelites, which, by the way, is usually what happens when the decision-making process is taken out of the hand of God's leadership and given to men. Things rarely turn out the way they should. Thank God for faithful people who believe God and follow the leadership that he has put in place. Joshua and Caleb were such men. In Numbers 14, 6 through 9, this is what it says, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who scouted out the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite community, The land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land, for we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Their faith and their desire to serve God almost got them killed. For Numbers 14.10 says, While the whole community threatened to stone them. Let me tell you something. Nothing bothers the faithless more than those who are sold out to God and are determined to remain faithful to Him. 
Joshua and Caleb stood, stood strong, but Israel believed the ten instead of the two. Folks, unbelief and faith simply cannot coexist. The author of Hebrews uh, writes in, in Hebrews eleven six. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God. Their unbelief in God had brought them to a very difficult place. They made the decision to follow man rather than God. Now there was nothing left but God's judgment. Their unbelief came at great cost. They had experienced so many miracles, yet because of their unbelief, they lost everything. Hebrews 3, verses 17 through 19. They lost their land. Numbers 14, 22 and 23 says, None of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tested me these ten times and did not obey me will ever see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have despised me will see it. God promised them the land and all they had to do was go and take possession of it. It was a matter of believing and trusting God enough to reach out and take that which he had already given them. Because of their unbelief and their lack of faith, they were denied that wonderful place. The land of Canaan is a picture of the victorious Christian life. God calls it his rest, Hebrews 3.18 and Hebrews 4, 5. It is the desire of God that all believers come to that place where they can rest victoriously in Him. Second, they lost their life. Numbers 14, 29, and 35. Your corpses will fall in the wilderness. All of you who were registered in the census, the entire number of you, 20 years old and more, because you have complained ab about me, I, the Lord, have spoken. I swear that I will do this to the entire evil community that has conspired against me. They will come to an end in the wilderness, and there they will die. The result of unbelief is death. Israel, following her deliverance from Egypt, failed to believe that God would grant them victory over the Canaanites, and as a result, that generation died in the wilderness. Jude uses this example to show how easy it is for individuals to be swayed from the truth and promises of God by unbelieving false teachers who reject God's word. Here, ten unbelieving faithless men had such an influence on, pe on the people of God, resulting in the death of a whole generation of God's people who otherwise could have gone into uh, Canaan, the land of victory. So here's a question for all of us. Who are we listening to? Second, we have the judgment of unholy angels. Take a look at verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. Now Jude's source of information for this statement is debated. Thomas Schreiner writes, quote, The second example of judgment involves the angels who sinned. We have already noted that Jewish tradition linked together the sin of angels in Genesis 6, 1-4, the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the punishment of the wilderness generation. 
we can be almost certain that Jude referred here to the sin of the angels in Genesis 6, 1-4. The sin the angels committed, according to Jewish tradition, was sexual intercourse with the daughters of men. Apparently, Jude also understood Genesis 6, 1-4 in the same way. Three reasons support such a conclusion. First, Jewish tradition consistently understood Genesis 6, 1-4 in this way. Second, we know from verses 14 and 15 that Jude was influenced by First Enoch, and First Enoch goes into great detail about the sin and punishment of these angels. Jude almost certainly would need to explain that he departed from the customary Jewish view of Genesis 6, 1-4 if he disagreed with Jewish tradition. The brevity of uh, the verse supports the, the idea that he concurred with Jewish tradition. Third, the text forges a parallel between the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels. The implication is that sexual sin was prominent in both instances, close quote. John MacArthur writes, quote, Jude referred to an extraordinarily heinous infraction by some of the fallen angels. That sin, recorded in the Old Testament, Genesis 6, 1-4, was so severe that God placed the offending demons in chains to prevent them from committing such perversity ever again. The third example that Jude provides is the judgment of unrighteous cities. The damnation of Sodom and Gomorrah carries with it a stern warning for all of us today. Look at what it says in verse 7. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So Jude uses the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to describe the destruction of the apostate, the false teacher. So just as the Sodomites are physically immoral or were physically immoral, the false teachers are spiritually immoral. In Genesis 19, we have the account of uh, the two angels visiting Lot at his house in Sodom. And the people of the city, as you recall, came to the house and demanded that Lot turn over his visitors for their wicked intentions. These wicked men were so caught up in their immorality that they sought to sexually force themselves on angels sent by God. Lot then offered the men his two virgin daughters in order to keep them from the angels. God struck the men in Sodom blind and saved the daughters. However, Lot's association with Sodom still cost him his daughters. I'm sure you recall they got their father drunk, had sexual relations with him, and had his children. Someone has well said, Lot took his girls out of Sodom, but he couldn't get Sodom out of his girls. Genesis 13.13 says, Now the men of Sodom were evil, sinning, immensely against the Lord. Incidentally, God has not changed his mind about homosexuality. It's still immensely or exceedingly wicked. The Lord uses his judgment on the Sodomite crowd of Genesis as an example of what awaits the apostate. Jude said that these serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire, latter part of verse 7. So the fire and brimstone that rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah is proof that God judged and will judge sin. The God of heaven, we're told in 
Hebrews 12.29 is a consuming fire. Over and over in the Bible, we are warned about the fierce judgment of God upon the wicked. Revelation 21.8 says, But the cowards, faithless, detestable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In fact, hell is one of the doctrines that the apostate attempts to do away with. Today, when hell is brought up, it will likely be ridiculed because, of course, only the ignorant could really believe in such a place. Some pseudo-Christian cults reject the existence of a literal burning hell. Liberals attempt to pass hell off as a figure of speech, not a literal place. In fact, we do not seem to hear much about hell, even from the pulpits of America today. Many have stopped proclaiming the biblical doctrine of hell. As we share the love of God, we must also warn of the lake of fire. The great Puritan William G.T. Shedd said in his, in his book, The Doctrine of Endless Punishment, quote, The age which is most reckless of law and most vicious in practice is the age that has the loosest conception of penalty and is the most inimical or antagonistic to the doctrine of endless retribution, close quote. The future of the apostate is the lake of fire. Apostates run around doing their evil work, creeping in on God's people, denying our Lord and ruining lives, but God will have the last word. Matthew 25:41 says, Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Father, may we take to heart what we have learned today. We bow down before thee in worship and adoration. We give you all the glory you are due. In Jesus' name, amen. <music>